Uh, you can meet me in Hebrews chapter 11. And that's going to be, watch this, I know, I know my pages already, 1715. 1715. Towards the end. Hebrews 11. And we're going to be looking at verses 7 through 22. Say there, Pastor. All right. Prepare for the reading of and the preaching of God's word. Starting in verse 7. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful, him being God, who had made the promise. And so from this one man, that's Abraham, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, It is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did, not re- he did receive Isaac back from death. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions 
concerning the burial of his bones. This is the word of God. And uh, before considering it, let's go to him in prayer and ask him to show us what it means and how to apply it to our lives. Father, you are a God that is infinite, a God that is all-powerful, holy, altogether worthy. God, we ask that you would speak your living and active word to us because we are desperate for a word in a dry and weary land. God, fill us with you, the object of our faith, so that our faith would grow as it places itself in you. And God, take our eyes to the future, looking towards what you have promised. Take us home, God. We need you. We love you. And we ask, we invite you to come and have your way with us right now. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Well, family, I, uh, I love music. And uh, I particularly love rap music. All right? Don't think because I became a Christian that I don't turn my, turn my sounds up in the car, okay? I love rap music. My artists have changed a little bit. The groups I listen to have changed a little bit. Uh, because I want to listen to God-glorifying music, and there's a lot of artists now that are uh, meeting the Lord. They were in the streets, and God rescued them, and now they're making music, not just for the church, but for their community. And, uh, and God does cultural transformation through God-glorifying artwork, like music, right? And so I love music, and one of the th- or I love rap music, and and one of the things I love about rap music is the hook, the chorus. Because it's this catchy, you know, word or two or maybe a sentence that continues to get repeated to the beat. And it, and it, and it draws its listeners into the song, taking them into the theme, sometimes even into a, a story. Because that's what rap music does. That's what a hook does. A hook prepares you for the meat of the song, the verses or the bars. And so you say, okay, pastor, why do you go there? Why rap music? Why uh, stuff about hooks and choruses? Well, because the Bible is filled with hooks. The Bible is filled with hooks, many hooks, many things for us to hang, hang our hats on. But arguably, one of the best hooks in the Bible is found right here in this text, Hebrews chapter 11. There's a hook there. It goes like this. Y'all can sing it with me. By faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. By faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. Come on. By faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. Right? Yeah. That's where we need a beat machine to come on, right? You see... This morning, we're going to see that the faith of Abraham and his family is going to challenge us 
to trust our Creator's promises. Here's the big idea. In the midst of personal and societal difficulties. Abraham and his family, their faith walk, the writer records, to challenge our faith walk. Because we are swimming in a pool of our own personal. And our own, what we just heard Johnny, and, and it seems like every week, my, my last two weeks doing prayer, a host of societal issues. And we need to rest in our Creator's promises. Otherwise, we have no ground to stand on. So, the way I want to do that is, right following along with the author of Hebrews, I'm going to hit on three illustrations that together, when we take them as a whole, are going to challenge us to trust our Creator's promises in the midst of personal and societal difficulties. So, not wasting any time, let's look at that first one. It'll post on the screen for you. Notice the first illustration, Sarah and the promise of a worldwide family. We see it in verses 11 through 12. Now, in order to, uh, to get this, I thought it'd be fitting to take you back a little bit, uh, at least as far back as my middle school, high school days. Uh, back in, we'll say I was a freshman, maybe. Uh, we all had, you know, various, like, nicknames or street names for each other, and mine was white folk. <laughs> That's what mine was. And uh, we had a guy that we rolled with that we called Bone. And the reason we called him Bone is because he looked like the, the Cleveland rapper from Bone Thugs and Harmony, Harmony uh, Busy Bone. He'll be on the screen for you. That was Busy Bone. Bone was, uh, was Puerto Rican and black. And uh, the thing we loved about Bone is, like, he was huge, and he looked like a grown man. So every time we were with Bone, we'd get a little bit tougher. Like, you know, let's say our toughness was at, like, a 75% when we were by ourselves. Whenever we were with Bone, it would jack up to, like, 100 or 150%. You know, we'd be talking all kinds of stuff, you know. Like if something popped off and, uh, and things got rowdy, we'd always be the first to, like, jump in. But, you know, if Bone wasn't there, I'd be like, you know, I'm, I'm good, man. I, I'm just going I'm just, I'm just to go my way, you know. I ain't talking about nothing. But whenever Bone was there, our posture was, what you finna do? Huh? You ain't going to do nothing? That's kind of how we were. And so we kind of came across as this this macho crew because, look, we got bone on our side. And you're like, okay, pastor, what's the punchline? It's amazing. The author of Hebrews, when he illustrates the faith of Sarah and Abraham, he takes it from a similar type of posture. You see, Sarah and Abraham also had a huge friend on their side. His name wasn't Bone, his name was Elohim, the creator God of all things. The creator God who happened to speak and the world came into existence. So when it came to trials, when it came to personal struggles that, that entered their lives, 
They had someone on their side that was bigger than anything in front of them, and you do too. You have, if I can say it, you have a bone on your side. His name is Elohim. When's the last time you said, thank you, Creator God? Worshipped Him as the all-powerful source of life. So keep this thought in mind. Take a look with me at how we see this truth in verses 11 and 12. Notice the example of Sarah and Abraham. Uh, in that example of Sarah and Abraham's faith, we hear an echo of the promise that the Creator God makes to them. He dresses his promise up in the imagery of creation because what he wants to do with their minds and also ours, is he wants to call to our attention his creative power. So he's saying, I am more than capable of performing what I've promised. I am the creator God. Notice how he does this in verse 12. He says, and so from this one man, this is verse 12, and he as good as dead, talking about Abraham, Watch this creation imagery. Came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. You see, this creation evoking imagery is taken straight out of God's promise to Abraham and by extension to Sarah in Genesis 15:5, which is again then repeated in Genesis 22:17, where the Creator God says to Abraham, I will surely bless you and make your descendants, here it is, as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. You see, although Sarah faced the impossibility of old age and childlessness and, 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 and a husband, in the words of the author of Hebrews, so old he was as good as dead. Abraham was 100 years old at this point. Nevertheless, the author tells us in verse 11, Sarah was enabled by God, watch, verse 11, to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. But now the question is, how in the midst of such a circumstance could Sarah and Abraham still trust God's promise for a worldwide family. Like, how? Can any of us do that? I, honestly, no. <laughs> like, no. Like, when's the last time you were in a situation where you faced impossibility and your first inclination was to trust God? We're not going to do it today, but you could go back and look at all the failed attempts that Sarah and Abraham, you know, they had to have an Ishmael first, right? Which represents taking matters into your own hands. But what Hebrews wants to do and what he wants us to be encouraged to do is focus on the highlights of biblical characters and their faith example. And right here we're looking at Sarah and Abraham. They were still able to trust God's promise for a worldwide family, even though they were childless. Even though 
They didn't have any children and were totally past any thought in their mind that that could happen. But you know why they were able to trust God? It's because they recognized that this promise came directly from the mouth of the one that spoke all things into existence out of nothing. Nothing at all. And you see, you and I, brothers and sisters, you may not realize it, but we too are part of the fulfillment of this promise. You say, how is that? Well, because the church is the worldwide redeemed family that God promised all along to Sarah and Abraham. And that is why in chapter 2, verse 16, the author of Hebrews can actually call us children of Abraham. Because he's following along with what Paul does all throughout his letters. He calls us children of Abraham. And therefore, we are recipients of the very same promises that God made to our great, 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 great ancestors. Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, and fill in the blank, you. Because God not only made his promises to Abraham and his family, he made them through Abraham and his family to us who believe in Christ. And so what does this mean, Pastor? This means the only difference is Sarah and Abraham looked forward to the promise to come. Whereas you and I, as members of God's redeemed family, are currently right now enjoying the fulfillment of those very promises. But our best days are still yet to come. We're experiencing something of the joy that Abraham and all of his family look forward to and knew, and knew by vision. And we know by realization. And will one day know the best part to come when we dwell together as family, completely delivered from all personal and societal struggle. So because Sarah and Abraham, we, we look at them and, and they're no different than us, they too were surrounded by a myriad of personal and larger societal impossibilities that make it really hard to trust the Creator's promise. But friends, if Sarah and Abraham, in the midst of their circumstances, could focus their faith on the Creator God's promise to them, well, then how much more so should we, on this side of the death and resurrection of, the, of Christ, looking back as God's redeemed family, how much more so should we trust in the Creator's promise? We have all the more reason, because right now we're doing it. You here to worship God, joining with all the saints, joining with, with people around the world who are part of the family, the multi-ethnic family of God. We are realizing what Abraham and Sarah yearned for. Take that in. These ancient promises are for you. But I got to keep going because I'll just make a whole sermon out of that. I can't do that because the author doesn't. He just keeps taking it a step further. 
So working backwards now from this illustration of Sarah and Abraham in verses 11 and 12, we come to the illustration of Abraham in the promised land in verses 8 through 10. And, you know, as I was in my study this past week and I meditating on this chapter, I come across verses 8 and 10 and I sat back and I said, wow, I know we're, we're singing the spirituals right now on Sunday morning, but it hit me that the spirituals deeply embody what we have right here in our text. Because consider the spirituals, those worship songs created by black slaves, uh, many of which contain coded words. Uh, we can call them double entendres, but really double meaning. Words that meant something in the immediate that you were longing for and something long on the horizon. So on one hand, spirituals, had coded words that communicated a long-range hope for new bodily life in a heavenly Jerusalem. But on the other hand, they communicated a short-range hope for liberation here and now, for the slaves from the shackles of slavery, freedom here and now, and so Harriet Tubman, a famous conductor of the Underground Railroad, was known for hiding in the tall grass uh, in the thick of the night. And she would begin to sing out some of these spirituals like steal away or swing low, right? Sweet chariot, right? I can't sing, but Harriet Tubman would. She would do it. And the slaves would sing these to each other to encourage and invigorate each other's hearts. And so what Harriet Tubman was attempting to do was to signal the slaves to come and gather who were yearning for freedom. So off they went, trusting in their creator's promise. Get this, even though they had no idea where they were going. No idea where they were going. And you say, well... Wow, no idea where, yeah, no idea where they were going. Verse 8 and following, listen to how closely this lines up. One could reason that the author of Hebrews describes the faith of Abraham really as the earliest recorded example of a person hearing and trusting the promise of a spiritual. You say, well, how is that? Because Abraham heard... And Abraham trusted God's promise of a new bodily experience in a better land. Look at this in verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as an inheritance, obeyed and went, even though what? He did not know where he was going. No idea where he was going. Abraham didn't have an address, like God didn't drop him a pin, <laughs> you know. He didn't have no uh, Waze app or, or Google Maps. I used to call it Wazi, and, and, and Monica was like, it ain't Wazi, it's Waze. I'm like, you're probably right. He didn't have any of that. 
But you know what he did have? He had the promise of the all-powerful creator who spoke and galaxies came into existence. That's what he had. And so by faith, he could actually begin putting footsteps to where he didn't even know he was going. Trusting that God would show him. Because God is faithful. God is all-powerful. And if God said it and the universe came into existence, well then, shouldn't I trust him? And then verse 9 illustrates for us, if that was his traveling, verse 9 illustrates for us that even when Abraham arrived in the promised land and faced the present difficulty of that land being occupied by a different people and realizing that he would never ever experience receiving even as much of a square foot of it as an inheritance while he lived. Never in his lifetime would he receive what he longed for. He'd have to live in and around it in a tent that he'd have to pack up, travel, pitch, pack up, travel, pitch. Does your life feel like that sometimes? Like you're just, like you're just picking up, going, Picking up, going, all the while longing. God, I thought you said. God, didn't you say? But why is this? I don't know what that is for you. But trust me, you don't have to think hard. You see, Abraham continued to trust the promise of his creator. In fact, it seems that God actually used this difficult circumstance to cause Abraham, watch this, to view the physical land of Canaan as a signpost pointing towards the ultimate land of Canaan. Because verse 10 says, this city that Abraham was looking for was equipped with eternal foundations, not tents. Because its architect and builder was the almighty creator God. And that's why chapter 12 calls this city the heavenly Jerusalem, which is the new heavens and new earth. You see, Abraham saw a vision. And if Abraham, amid his present difficulties, could, t- could continue to hear and trust the Creator's promise for a glorious future life in the heavenly Jerusalem, how much more ought we? In our personal, in all the, the, the larger societal difficulties that we face, how much more so must we trust the Creator's promise for a glorious future in the heavenly Jerusalem? I mean, after all, aren't we the people that happen to know this creator God in the personal living embodiment of himself in Jesus? This creator God came down and showed us who he was. 
He dwelled with God's people in all kinds of ways. Pillar of cloud by night, or pillar of cloud by day, pillar of fire by night. In the tabernacle, in the temple, for us, in Jesus. You know this creator God, in Jesus Christ. In this Jesus, this creator is both the door into and the way to the heavenly Jerusalem. You see, if you know Jesus, you're already, in a sense, in the heavenly Jerusalem, but also not yet. You're already a new creation, but you're also going to become an ultimate new creation. You're already living out the ethics of that place we're heading to right now. And that's why the world throws stuff at you. And that's why you scratch your head dumbfounded. What is going on? Why? Because you live by a different city, a different sort of ethics. The new creation ethics, the heavenly Jerusalem ethics, the place where Jesus will welcome you in. So, thus far, we receive the challenge of Sarah and Abraham. Trusting the Creator's promise for a worldwide family, even though they were old and childless. And we have also been challenged by Abraham trusting the Creator God's promise for a new life in a better land, even though he had no idea where he was going. And he realized that he would not receive anything of it in his lifetime. And each of these illustrations are meant to challenge us in the midst of our personal and corporate, societal traumas, that we have a creator God named Jesus who's on the throne, who's already begun to fulfill God's promises, and we are experiencing the joy of them and also looking forward, also continuing to be encouraged to trust because the better days are still ahead. Amen? But we can't leave without looking at the last illustration. This is the third and final one I want you to see. It's, you could say, the grand finale. It's the story of the patriarchs and matriarchs as a whole. Or another way to say that, the story of Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, and Jacob as a whole. So consider the faith of the patriarchs and matriarchs in verses 13 through 22. And, and notice how the author of Hebrews, or rather, notice what he says about them in the last half of verse 16. He says this, Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God. God is not ashamed to be called their God. But as I read this this past, this past week, I thought, you know, the all-powerful, holy, creator God. I mean, I had to think about this for myself. The all-powerful, holy, creator God is not ashamed of a human being. 
a sinful human being. You and I are just like Sarah, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We're human. We're frail. We're weak. We're sinful to the core. But God is not ashamed to be called our God. You say, well, how is that? Notice what the author of Hebrews says about the patriarchs and matriarchs' faith in verse 13. Here's why God is not ashamed to be called their God. All these people were still living by faith when they died. (laughs) They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. Admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. In other words, let me say it like this. These folk took their last breath looking forward towards the promised future and trusting God for it. That's how they lived their life. And brothers and sisters, there's quite possibly no better example of this than the ancient black church. Still alive today, serving as a prime example of this type of faith. Because think about this. Enslaved black Christians, just think about this. Looking for, yearning for spiritual nourishment in the dry and weary wilderness of their white oppressors. They found food right here in Hebrews 11. Listen to this reflection from a pastor and theologian named James Earl Massey who writes on this topic. He declared, bound together with those enumerated in the biblical account and bound with Jesus by the cords of faith and experienced struggle, African-American slaves knew what it meant to feel like strangers and foreigners, Hebrews eleven thirteen, and to desire a better country, Hebrews eleven sixteen, 16, one in which God would be rightly honored and in which they could live in freedom. They saw the desired freedom from a distance and greeted it. Listen to this. Their view always ahead to the realization yet to be. Thousands died in faith without having received that freedom. But their faith had grasped it, listen to this, because they had been grasped by the God they knew as just. Family, are you in need of spiritual food? In the dry and weary land of of your personal and all the societal struggles that swarm us when we open our door and when we flip on the news. I want to encourage you. No, I, I actually want to direct us to those that are trying to encourage us. The author of Hebrews says, look at the patriarchs and matriarchs. Look at their faithful example. And brothers and sisters, look at black Christians from the past and present, who serve as models of what it looks like in the midst of trauma, in the midst of struggle, to still open God's word. To open God's word and consider its truth. To hear God's voice in the midst of your dry and weary land. 
And friends, I want to encourage you, study the black church. Read black Christian authors. Listen to black preaching. Listen and sing the spirituals. Memorize them. And friends, you know what you're going to find? You're going to find encouragement and sustenance for your faith walk. To encourage you, to spur you, to catapult you on. Because you can't go on without the living and active word. You can't go on without living and acting examples of what it looks like to apply that word in the midst of struggling times. But that's not all. Notice how the author just keeps taking things to the next level. He directly follows up this section on hope for the heavenly Jerusalem with hope for resurrection. And we see it in verses 17 and 18. You remember the story of God telling Abraham, Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your one and only son, Isaac, the son of promise, the son of whom God says, I'm going to give you a worldwide family through. You mean, God, you want me to put your promise in jeopardy? Uh, you want me to... Put your promise on the line? That doesn't make sense. But oh, you got to see Abraham. Because Abraham, though he scratched his head, it says here, out of an act of sheer obedience to God, Abraham so committed Isaac in mind and heart to God that verse 19 says, Abraham reasoned. If God has called me to put his promise in jeopardy, this can only mean that this God could and surely would raise Isaac, the son of promise, from the dead and give him back to me. And indeed, verse 19 concludes that God did in fact raise Isaac from his sort of death and give him back to Abraham. You see, what does the author want us to take away from this? A lot of things, but especially this. He wants us to understand, he wants you and I to grasp that genuine faith is resurrection faith. To say it a different way, you want to know if you have true saving faith? True saving faith is a faith that believes in the creator God who gives life, takes life, and gives life again. This is a God who spoke all things into existence. This is a God who loves his world that is beautiful but fallen. This is a God who will rescue and redeem it. And it starts with him rescuing and redeeming his church. Who he will raise from the dead. And that will spark his renewal of all things. I'm getting ahead of myself, but... I'm persuaded this is the reason why the author of Hebrews follows up his section on hope for the heavenly Jerusalem with hope for resurrection because like the rest of the New Testament writers, he wants us to understand that our trust in the creator God who raised Jesus from the dead is also at the same time our guarantee that though we too will die along our faith walk one day, this same creator God will raise us in Christ from the dead 
and grant us new bodily life and place us in a brand new world called the new heavens and new earth. Or to put it the way Hebrews does, the heavenly Jerusalem. The future city. The one built by the architect and builder named Elohim. That's where we're heading. And you know what? That place will be completely rid of the perplexity of your personal issues. That place will be rid of all your tears. That place will be rid of evil. That place will be rid of the sin in your heart and the sin in your neighbor's heart. That place will be the city of God. And you will be there. You will be there worshiping this God, not because you're the best or you're the better, but because this God was gracious to you to come down and save a sinner like you and I. To come down, not only save us, but continue to save us and one day ultimately save us. Amen? And so that our hook could be by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, right? Because the faith walk of Abraham and his family challenges us to trust our Creator's promises in the midst of personal and in the midst of societal issues, difficulties. Yes, this God is on his throne. This God says of you, I'm not ashamed of you. I'm not ashamed of you. You may be ashamed of you, but I'm not ashamed of you. Because you too are continuing to persist. Why on earth haven't you stopped in all the struggles you've been through? Why haven't you folded up the tent and packed it away and said, forget it. I'm not following God anymore. It doesn't seem to bring me anything good. It's because you have a living faith in you that this creator has given you. And this faith won't stop until it grabs hold of everything God has promised you. Because all of God's promises are yes and amen in Jesus. Jesus has come and Jesus will come again. And I wish I could go to the end of chapter 12 because that's where we see Jesus welcoming us from our journey. Picture Jesus, he's there at the finish line saying, come on, saints. Keep going, saints. Don't stop. I got to stop, though, because <laughs> I'll just keep going. Let me close with Howard Thurman. My worship team could come up. Howard Thurman, the theologian, philosopher, and civil rights activist. Howard Thurman was the grandson of slaves. And he used to have these long talks with his grandma. And uh, his grandma used to tell him of, of, of the traumas of her childhood. Y'all don't be shy. Y'all just, just come on. He, he would speak of the traumas of, uh, she would speak of the traumas of childhood. And as she would do this, she would oftentimes 
go into tears. And when she was explaining to younger Howard Thurman what it was like, she said it was destructive and hopeless. She said, I could not see in front of me. I could not. And I was struck by something Howard Thurman said as he was uh, reminiscing on uh, this time. And I want to read it to you. He said, you know, as I was reminiscing on my, my grandmother and these stories, I discovered that her faith and the faith of the slaves was this. This was the, the thing they recognized. The bitter contradictions of life are not final. And that hope was built into the fabric of struggle. Hope was built into the fabric of struggle. I, I don't know what maybe you might be struggling with. What difficulty you might have came in with. What issue in the world just really like, it, it just bothers you. You just, you get incensed at it. And you're also perplexed, God, when will you take it away? I want to remind you that hope is built into that struggle. Hope is on the horizon. Hope is waiting. Hope, that hope that would cause a God to be so sure of telling Abraham, Abraham, go and sacrifice your son. Put, put my promises in jeopardy. Because there's nothing I can't do. Because all of my promises I will be faithful to. He's being faithful to you right now. Whatever you're going through. And you know who this God is in Jesus Christ. He's your way to the promised land and he's going to be the door into it so I want to urge you to fix your eyes on Jesus fix your hope on Jesus and know that he will never let you go even when you let him go amen pray with me father you're good to us and oftentimes we we leave you in the dust. We, uh, we give up on you. We get in these struggles in our lives and we don't see you. But we thank you, God, that in those times you lift our eyes off of what's in front of us to you, the almighty creator who spoke and the world came to be and who came down to rescue and renew the world you created because you love it so much. And we thank you that we are among that creation who you love. And we just pray that you would help us 
Help us to continue to trust you. Help us to continue to hope when we feel like we can't. To not be led by our emotions, but to be led by your truth. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.